We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. I asked Jordan to read uh, one verse out of the ninth chapter. We've been studying about Ezra and Nehemiah, and as the video said, to return and to restore and to rebuild. That is a literal part of the history of, of the Israelites, but I can't help but think in my life the seasons that I've had to return. I've had to return to God in whatever area of my life and ask for a, a starting over. And aren't you glad that God gives us a starting over? He gives us the opportunity to return to him and reach up to him. The, the New Testament says, draw nigh unto God. And he said, I'll draw nigh unto you. And so seasons of our life, we have to do exactly what Israel is doing. In our country, do we need a return, a restore, and rebuild? We do. We do. We need to return to many of the things that our country was founded on and based on. And so as we look at these verses here tonight, would you think of Israel? God keeps his word and his faithful promises to them. Would you think about our country? Would you think about the countries around the world? But would you also think about your own heart as I will mine? and asking God to, to speak to me through his word. In the ninth chapter, the 38th verse, Jordan had read to us, now because of all this, and what he's referring to, as we looked at last week, the people had not had the Bible uh, alive in their hearts for a long time. Nehemiah has led the people back to Israel. They have rebuilt the wall in 52 days. God gave them supernatural strength. They were working men and women and children. They worked in front of where they lived. They worked with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And that's the picture of a Christian life. We work for the kingdom of God, laying bricks, but we also work with a sword, realizing that the, we're in a battle. And as long as we're here on this earth, that we have an enemy, a formidable foe that doesn't want us to do what God's, God wants us to do. But God was faithful to give them the ability to rebuild that wall. And they realized that as they're rebuilding the ruins that had been knocked down in Israel, they realized that they needed inward rebuilding also. And that's what this chapter, the 10th chapter, is all about. They are going to make a covenant, an agreement, and they're going to sign their name. I, when I was in high school, I worked in a county clerk's office for a while. And what my job was to type into those big record books. If you ever go in there and look up deeds and instruments, they were hand typed a long time ago in great big thick books. And you can find out property and, and the sale of different properties and things. The wheels are recorded in there. And I was fascinated to find from many of them from the 1800s and early 1900s, the signatures on those contracts. Uh, people back my parents' age, my dad was born in, in 1917, my mom in 1920. Um, they were taught to, to write with beautiful penmanship. I mean, they didn't write with their fingers like this. They wrote with their whole arm, and I was just amazed because uh, even up in later years, they had beautiful penmanship. But I, I noticed in some of those contracts that I had to copy in the, the county clerk's office, some people signed with an X. They couldn't read or write. And because there were witnesses there, they put the X on the mark. It was just as legally binding as all those other signatures. 
And a contract is just that. This family here, the grandparents, the husbands there, I'm going to say it right this time, and, and the name, and, and, and John and Mac are, are coming into an agreement, a covenant with God. You're dedicating that little girl unto God. Elijah, tonight, you are making a commitment, and we as a church are making a commitment to both of you families. You are being dedicated, and you're making a commitment to follow Christ. You're signing on the dotted line. And that's what Israel realized they need to do. There was something more important than building the wall. In, in our lives sometimes too, there's a something much more important than just coming to church and praying and studying God's Word. Those are all wonderful, very valuable things. The Bible teaches us God doesn't want outward appearance, but He wants our heart. And that's what Israel's finding out. Verse 38 of chapter 9 says, Now because of all this... They had forsaken God's word, his commandments. We are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. I think that's significant that we realize for the rest of the people of Israel to follow God, their leaders needed to step up and set the example. Would you agree? The pastors of our churches and the leadership of our churches need to be first in following God's will. What do we call people that tell others what to do, but they won't do it? Jesus called them hypocrites in Matthew 23. You bind men with heavy burdens, and yet you will not lift them with your own finger. So we got to be careful that we as church leaders, and you guys are leaders. You, many of you are, are leaders in the ministries here in the church. We need to go first. I always admire those in the military. And by the way, we have just uh, remembered the Veterans Day. How many of you served in the United States military? Would you raise your hand, please? Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless you. Your men and women that you led want to see you going first. They want you to sit, set that example, and that's how you can inspire others to follow. So Nehemiah and the writer of this book is saying, we needed to turn back to God in our hearts. We got the wall built by God's power. We found out last week that they needed to remember a few things. They needed to remember that God had provided them in the wilderness. God gave them the promised land. He kept them safe in the times of the judges. They needed to remember that God had taught his people to confess their sins to him. You and I don't come to a priest. We don't go into a little box and tell the priest, all of our sins, and he forgives us. No man can forgive sins except God. Christ is our mediator, and we go to Jesus. It's wonderful to have a pastor pray with you or your friend, your brother, your sister, your mom or dad, and we need to do that. But Jesus is the mediator between us and God, and we go to him and we repent. We confess our sins. And Israel, last week in the ninth chapter earlier, had confessed that we have not been doing that, God. We haven't been following you the way we should. You know what's happened in our church? We've had many people come to Denton Bible from all over our country. Uh, my wife and I, Lord willing, will just uh, have dinner at our home with some of the, the Gap young men and women. And they've come from all over America. They've come from places that cities have chosen to abandon God's will and God's word. 
they boldly are professing sin and try to get laws passed to do that. And I'm not standing here in judgment because God can judge me just as well as anything else. But they were tired of living that way. And we have many, many people coming to our state and coming to churches uh, around us because their churches have compromised God's Word. Their cities have compromised. And I'm encouraged about that. And many people that come, we, we, we laugh and they say, what state are you from? And, and it's everywhere from California, from Wisconsin to, you know, Portland and, and Seattle and all those places. And I'm finding many of those people are very, very concerned and loving God and, and wanting his word to be held to. And it's a pleasure to welcome them in the church. It's been exciting to meet these people. I talked with, I don't know how many, before I could even get out of the doors after church this morning, I stopped in the, in the foyer and I talked to so many people that have come to Denton Bible from all over our country. That's what's happening in Israel. We need to start over, God. And I've got to confess again, there's been many, many times in my life when I had to start over. I'm just thankful that Jesus was there to let me do that. But Nehemiah and the rest of the leaders said, we're going to make an agreement in writing. We're going to have a contract and it's going to be a sealed document. It's going to be official. And the first names that are going to be on that document are the leaders, the Levites and the priests. That's the way it should be. If you read that list, we won't go through all those names here. I always think about the names, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malachi, Hattush. Did y'all, John, did you ever consider naming her Hattush anything? No, they had some really strange names back then. They probably would lead a list, a list of our names and, and feel like that our names were strange to them. But they wrote their names on there. They sealed that document. And I want you to notice who was the very first one in chapter 10, verse 1. Now on the sealed document were the names of Nehemiah, the governor. He signed first. He wasn't going to be a hypocrite, tell others what to, well, others what to do and not be an example himself. And he signed his name. When I think about the beginning of our country, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Those men were putting their life on the line. They pledged their families, their fortunes. They pledged their honor and their lives because they didn't know how this was going to turn out. We make contracts. We make agreements. We make covenants. And the Scripture always encourages us, keep your word, keep your word. Those of you who have little children, and isn't it wonderful to see? I see Garrett over there. Just what a blessing right there, and uh, how wonderful that is. Uh, we, have, we have the blessed responsibility of loving these children. This family has to love these children, raise them up in the way they should go. And I believe one of the greatest things that parents and grandparents can do in the years and the season of raising the children is keep their word to them. Keep your word. If you tell them we're going to do something, you don't let anything alter that except an emergency or let them know that you're faithful to your word. That will give them security. That will give them confidence. I know of a very popular pastor in the Metroplex, and he 
had committed to being at his daughter when she was little birthday party. And he actually got an invitation to go to the White House and see the president. Can you imagine? Uh, this was several terms back. Uh, can you imagine wanting to go and, and have a wonderful time with his daughter at a birthday, but getting a, an invitation to the White House? And he got his secretary to call the White House and say, thank you so much for the invitation, but it's my daughter's birthday, and I don't want to miss that. How do you think that daughter is going to feel as she gets older and she realizes the impact of what her dad did there? These men are signing a contract. And you go all the way down through verse 27. They put their lives on the line. They put their names on the line. Do you know when we do that? When we're baptized, we come under the name of Christ. We're called a Christian, a believer. And the picture of baptism is that we were alive once without him, but we are buried with Christ into baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life. We become identified with Christ. We sign on the dotted line. Those of you that we just honored, thank you for your service in the military. Did you sign a contract with the United States government? You did, didn't you? You signed on. And that's what these people are doing. Look with me there in verse 28, please, of that chapter. It says, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and statutes. Their commitment, uh, though it wasn't, uh, it wasn't ordered by God, God is not the one that said, you come and sign this contract. This is coming from the heart of the people. God doesn't make us sometimes come forward in a church service and give our life to Christ. He doesn't force us to obey him. But, oh, is he ready to receive us when we do that? When we take that initiative by, by his strength and we come and make a commitment to him, he's so ready to save us. But notice who all it said. It said all the rest of the people and all the leaders, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers. A few weeks ago, Corey, preaching through this same book, was talking about all those different groups of people and how God used them in Israel during this time. It said they took upon them a curse and an oath. And what would happen there is uh, they would put uh, their name on the dotted line. They would agree that they're going to obey God. And they would ask even that if anyone doesn't do it, calamity would come upon them. Now, God didn't tell them to do that. These people are wanting to be very serious. There's many times in the scripture where we some, see someone taking an oath and Whoever would not, and it has a curse after that. These people are doing this. It's an unusual covenant. Sometimes it was accompanied by an animal sacrifice. Do you know why animal sacrifices were all through the Old Testament? It's not because God was blood hungry. It was not because uh, he wanted death uh, and to, to be celebrated. But an animal was sacrificed to remind the people that there had to be a, a price paid for disobedience. I think sometimes when we're young, didn't you? 
Sometimes when you're young, think I can do this and get by with it. Nobody will ever know and there won't be any consequences. How did that work out for us? Be sure your sin will find you out, the Bible says. Are there consequences to all sin? There are. But God is faithful to restore and forgive and to set us back in a relationship. And that's what these people are desiring. They're desiring to get close to God. Notice what it says. We are, we are making this commitment. We'll even accept calamity upon our life if we don't do it. And verse 30, that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And that's one of the first things that's important in this, in this uh, passage in a list of things I want to mention to you tonight. They agreed to not intermarry. Now, it's not talking about race there. It's not talking about color of skin or uh, national origin. It's talking about don't marry the people outside of the faith. You remember when Amalek uh, came, I mean, when uh, uh, Deborah was asked, would you come and fight against uh, the, the people of uh, the lands? They wanted to attack Israel. And Balaam, the story you learned in Sunday school about the talking donkey, this king wanted Barak or Barak, wanted to defeat the Israelites. So he came to Balaam and he said, how can we defeat them? And he said, I'll tell you how to do it. You take your beautiful Jewish girls and you put them right there on the border and you let those false God worshiping people, you let them see those beautiful girls and they're going to jump the fence. They're going to come over and they're going to intermarry with these Israelite girls and what's going to happen is they're going to bring their false God worship with them. And that was the key, he said, to defeat Israel. Not the mixing of races, the mixing of religion and those false gods. And so here, they're making a commitment. We're not going to do that. We're not going to send our daughters out to marry people so they won't go to church and they won't be Christians and they won't be faithful to God. We're not going to send our sons out so they'll worship in an, in an idol's temple somewhere. Parents committed and dedicated that they would raise their children in the faith. And that's what we do also. We commit to say, Lord, would you save this child and protect him and raise him up? When our little grandson, just as I prayed a moment ago, when our little grandson was little, his other grand, granddad, the other side of the family, uh, prayed the day he was dedicated in church. We all cannot wait as a family until little Luca Ask Jesus in his heart. Because that's what we do. We commit them unto the Lord. So the first thing, we're not going to intermarry. The, the next one, verse 31, As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, remember God said, the Old Testament, you had Saturday Sabbath, I want you to rest and I don't want you to work. He didn't say not feed your dog. He didn't say to not take care of your animal. He didn't say those things, he said, I don't want you to work to get gain. I want you to rest. God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh, and he intended for man to do that also. You know, I've known many pastors and church leaders um, that have burned out in the ministry because they didn't take a day to rest. We all are created to need that. So I want to ask you, do you have a day that you're able to rest? Those of you who just had babies, it will come. It will be soon. You're going you're gonna to get that soon. Just keep on. Hold on. But they wouldn't intermarry, 
And the second thing was they were going to keep the Sabbath and the sabbatical year. Uh, we, we're not going to, uh, the people that bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will forgo the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, this is Old Testament. We're not underneath that law. But they just said, we're going to rest on those days and we're not going to buy from the people who sell things on that day. Uh, you probably have to be as old as I am to remember what I'm about to say to you. Do you remember? We had the Texas Blue Laws. Uh, my freshman year in college, I went to the grocery store on a Sunday, and I couldn't buy certain things. I could buy milk and bread and some of the necessities, but we couldn't buy other things because that was a law in this state encouraging us not to shop on Sunday so those people could be with their families and in church to worship the Lord. How far have we come today? When we played Little League and all those sports when we were little, we never had a practice on a Wednesday night because many people went to church. It was never even thought of to have a tournament on Sunday because People went to church. And so that's what these people say. We haven't done it. We want to go back. We want to start over. And so they agreed, we're not going to intermarry. We're going to keep the Sabbath and the sabbatical year. Every seventh year, your debt could be forgiven. Now, there were stipulations. You couldn't take out a debt and uh, six months before the sabbatical year and think, I've got six months and then my debt is going to be free. no. You were given back the, the, the debt that you took out on the, the seventh year was to be freed. It was to be paid in full. On uh, the year of Jubilee, 50 years, the, the lands would go back to the original owners. So the land would stay in the family. Right now, if you go to Israel, you do not buy land. Uh, it is owned by the country. You lease it. You use it but you don't buy private land in the land of Israel. Verse 32. So they're not, they agree we're not going to intermarry with those of other faiths. We're going to keep the Sabbath and the sabbatical year. We also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel. Now, normally it was a half, but their economy was, <laughs> was a little bit different. And they're going to give a third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the continual grain offering, continual bird offering, Sabbaths, new moon, appointed times, holy things for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and look, and all the work of the house of our God. What they're agreeing to do is we're going to support the church. We're going to support the temple. Uh, I knew a man one time who claimed to be a Christian standing great in God's stead, and he said, oh, I don't tie to the church anymore. I just give a Check once a year to the American Red Cross. In fact, our church does that. We don't even help people that are in need. We just give a check to the Red Cross every year. Hmm. You know, uh, right when he said that, I thought, how in the world could you be a church leader and not set the example to support your own church? I wonder how people think the church survives. Uh, did you know someone cleaned this room before we got here today? Someone set these chairs up. 
these people in the back there have been preparing those videos and these people with the music, they've been preparing long before all of us got here. Your tithe to the church, your offerings, your giving to the Lord is, supports this church so we can help the widows and the orphans and we can have air conditioning and heat. It's really nice to have that. These people said, we haven't been supporting the temple the way we should. We're going to start. Malachi chapter 3, you're probably very familiar with this, but we don't have time to look at it tonight. But if you want to see something, if you've never seen it, it's the only time in the scripture I know of that God says, try me, put me to the test. He told Israel, you have robbed me. And Israel said, how have we robbed God? And he said, because you haven't given your tithes and offerings. And he told him in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, bring your tithes into the storehouse. That's not to pay, pay, pay somebody to get rich. It's to help feed the hungry. It's to help have a church. And here it was to support the temple. And God said, bring your tithes into the storehouse and see, put me to the test. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out an overflowing blessing upon you. God said, you just, you just try me. You give to support your church, to, to support the ministry, to support missionaries. You give so the gospel of Christ can go around the world and you watch what I'll do for you. Men and women, I can honestly tell you, my mother taught me to, she would give us a dime when we were little children in the pew of the church. And when that, that offering plate came around, we'd put that dime in there. She taught me as a little boy and by God's grace, haven't ever failed to do that. And I want to tell you something you can write down. You cannot outgive God. I want to promise you, he gives pressed down, shaking together, and running over. I'm not talking about mechanically give and God has to give. He's not a slot machine. But as you obey him with a good, honest, and true heart, he knows your needs, he knows my needs, and he takes care of his own. So the third thing that we're going to do is we're going to support the temple. We're going to bring the tithes and offerings in that we should. Verse 34, likewise, we cast lots for the supply of wood among the priests. You know why this was so important? How many of you got a wood-burning stove at home? Are you going to light that up tonight and go sit by it or lay down beside it? It's going to feel so good these first few days of cold. That wood was for a special purpose, so the fire's on the altar in the temple would not go out. We have a few things in our country. If you go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington Cemetery, there, if I'm not mistaken, isn't there a flame there? Is there a flame at, um, at our President Kennedy's graveside? There are some things that are, that are a flame that is perpetual. They keep it going all the time. God said, I want the, the fire on my altar but to be perpetual. And so somebody had to provide the wood for that. Here, the people said, we're going to cast lots. This is your turn. I'll take this turn. You do this time. And we're going to make sure there is wood for the altar so the fire will not go out. Verse 35, that they might bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree, the house of the Lord annually, to bring to the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it's written, the Lord for the priests who are ministering the house of our God. They needed to bring the first fruits. We don't have to go very far in the Bible when it started. We hear about a couple guys named Cain and Abel. The Bible tells us that Cain brought just of his fruits. 
but Abel brought the best. You know what God wants from us? He wants our best. He didn't want us to be a half of a Christian or a 30% Christian. He wants our best. He wants our first. And he blesses those people that do that. Israel realized we haven't done it. We haven't brought our flocks and our herds. We haven't dedicated our children. And they said, we're going to do it. We're going to bring the first fruits. We're going to put God first in our life. And they signed their name to it. Verse 37. We'll also bring the first of our dough, our contributions, the first of every tree, the fruit of every tree, the new wine and the oil to the priest at the chambers of the house of our God. And the tithe of our ground to the Levites, for the Levites are they who receive the tithes in all the rural towns. It was interesting the way God set up the priesthood in the Old Testament. He had called Abram's son, to, uh, Abraham's sons to, uh, uh, to be priests. Uh, um, Aaron's son, Abraham, I mean Moses, excuse me, Moses' brother to be priest, the head of the priest. And then he called a group of the Levites to come and to be the helpers to the priests. Uh, Aaron's sons to carry on the word of God, the Levites to come and to do the work of the tabernacle or the work of the temple. The Levites were not to own land themselves um, to, to um, be in the same circumstance that the rest of the Israelites are. They were to be receiving tithes and to live of the ministry. And that's why God intends for the pastors of the New Testament. Uh, we don't muzzle the ox when they're treading out the grain, Paul says. And leaders of the church are designed to be cared for by the church so they can be free to share the gospel and to do the work of the ministry. So God told the, the, the people to return your tithes to the Levites. But I want you to notice something interesting that happens after this. The priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tenth of the tithes to the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. The Levites tithed, tithed on their tithes. They gave of what had been given for the work of the ministry, for the, the holding on to the temple of God and the work of that temple. And then finally, it says, for the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. Nine times in this passage I read to you tonight, it said the house of our God, the house of our God. You know what the Israelites found out? The temple was more important than the wall. Their heart and their obedience to God was more important than all the ruins being rebuilt. I ask you here tonight, would you look inside your own heart is there anything, that was a list of things that the Israelites would do. They made a covenant with God. We're going to start over. We're going to sign our name to it. We're going to obey you. We're going to bring the tithes. We're going to support the, the temple. We're going to do these things, God, to show you that our heart wants to be right with you. We'll see in the next part of the book of Levi, uh, of Nehemiah what, what happened when these people kept that covenant, these Levites and the rest of the people. But I want to ask you here tonight, 
how long has it been since you just went to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, could I start over? It may be an area of your life. Maybe you haven't prayed as much as you used to or you haven't, haven't worshipped as much as you used to. Uh, there's a lot of lost people out there. Have you witnessed for Christ lately? Uh, I pray that I know many of you have, and you do it on a regular basis, but I pray for you. I pray for, for the school teachers that we have here. I pray for the people that work in other ministries. I pray for all of you that go out in the community and you share Christ with your life and with your voice to people around you that are lost. This Christmas season, we're going to look forward to looking at the Christmas story in the Scripture uh, and just begging God to draw souls to himself, begging him to save people this Christmas. And so I ask you to pray for that as we sew up here in, uh, in just a little while the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and our study of that. We'll turn toward the Christmas story. And I wonder how many people that God could use us during this season to share what the real meaning of Christmas is. Oh, it sounds simple. It sounds elementary. But if we're not careful, we miss it. So I just beg you, invite people here. Let's fill this place up. There's a lot of people that it would be wonderful if this could be their first Christmas as a born-again believer in Christ, giving their life to him, trusting him, and worshiping the one that God, the Bible says, God so loved us that he gave Jesus. If you've been to Europe, there is uh, many, many places you go that there are wonderful former churches, cathedrals, and they're beautiful. There's craftsmanship. There are high pulpits where the one who proclaimed God's word would stand. There are places where organs were um, put exalted so the, the sound of their music would go through those wonderful cathedrals. There was a time when the gospel was alive in Europe. And you go there today and you, you don't necessarily see ruins like you do in Israel and other parts where the, the buildings have been destroyed or they've decayed. You still see those magnificent buildings, but you know what they are? They're empty. They're museums. They're places where tourists go. I was in one in Austria, I believe it was, a few years ago, and we walked in and we heard this beautiful young adult choir singing. And I'd, I'd, uh, I had never heard a choir like that, I don't think in person. It was, uh, they were singing a cappella. It was the acoustics in that place were just phenomenal. And I thought, Lord, in this wonderful building, how many people had prayed to you in the years past? One of our missionaries when I asked him one time about one of those countries, he said, uh, when I witness to people in the land that I live now, they say, oh, our ancestors tried Christianity a long time ago. Unfortunately, the United States follows Europe. We're usually about 10 or 15 years behind them, and we're kind of catching up to them right now. It's more than ever a time for us as a country and a people to start over with God. Support your church. Support the ministries God's using. Support these missionaries that go out for the sake of his name. 
I think it's always a good time for us. Now, I know I'm going to use a word that if you grew up as a Baptist, I wasn't a Baptist, but if you grew up as a Baptist, you've heard this word before, rededication. And we laugh about it sometimes and think, oh, no, there's going to be a rededication service on Wednesday night, you know. It's not a bad idea sometimes to say, God, would you give me strength to rededicate my life by the power you give me to you. That's what Israel did. Return, restore, and rebuild. And if anybody here tonight wants prayer in those areas of your life, I'll stay right here with you, and there'll be many that will. Sure is good to be able to start over. They made a covenant with God. This family's made a covenant with God, and God will keep that, and he'll give you strength to keep it. We've made a covenant with God, and you've made it, Elijah, here tonight with your wife to carry his name. And all of us here have made a covenant with God. This is my church. I'll support it, and I'll honor Christ in this place. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for everyone you brought here tonight, and I want to ask you for the strength for we all to bow before you and just to look inside of our own lives. Lord, any area in my life that I need to rededicate, start over, to sign on the dotted line, to make a covenant with you, Lord, that by your strength, I'll return to you. I'll return to your word. Would you show me? Lord, help me to not preach to others and not do it myself. So start with me here tonight, Lord. Thank you for Israel and everything, Lord, that you did in their lives during this time. And you're not through with Israel. You've still got promises that you're going to keep to them. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem here tonight. Lord, I thank you for these babies that are here and this one that has been dedicated to not hold on to her all the days of her life. I thank you for Elijah and his family going out as a missionary and those other missionaries that are here tonight or those that are being supported by those that are here tonight. Help us, Lord, to return to you, to restore the things that need restoring and let you rebuild. And that, Lord, as we enter this Christmas season, it might be a time that we as a church and this Sunday evening service might grow. It might be pleasing to you. Lost people being saved and saved people rejoicing for the King has come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.